We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Father, we just thank you tonight. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the game changer, the cross. We thank you for all that it's done in us. We thank you for all that it's done with us. We thank you for all that it's done for us. And even as every day we, we take time to come into the fullness of the consciousness of what you've done, we thank you for your patience with us. You're such a good father. You're such, such a good father. You're a better father than we even know you are. You're not a good father because we're good sons. But you're just faithful even when we are faithless. And, and, and a lot of times we take that for granted. We run off in the knowing that you have made us at peace with you. And we forget to just celebrate how awesome your love is. And so tonight we consciously thank you for your fatherhood. With you every day is Father's Day. Because it comes from the Father of lights. In whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. So we celebrate you today, Father. Celebrate your loving kindness, your great love, your compassion, your mercies that never, ever fail. Your steadfast love that is new every morning, every human morning. Because with you, it is constant, as constant as you are. And we thank you for even more illumination tonight. We thank you that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened. We thank you that your word comes and it comes and it falls on good ground. We thank you that our hearts are fertile ground for your word. We thank you that our hearts are receptive to your word. We thank you that our spirits are attuned to the frequency at which yours is transmitting tonight. We thank you that no flesh tonight glories in your presence. We thank you that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened. We thank you that we see wondrous things in your word. Christ revealed from the pages of the book, brought alive by the Spirit of God, revealing to us expressly the mind of the Father. Thank you for precision of speech tonight. Thank you for utterance and unction. Thank you for emboldened speaking. Thank you that our mouths are the pens of a ready writer, writing the counsel of God as is resident in our hearts, making it plain for all to see, putting Christ on display. We sharpen our senses tonight, Lord. In spite of the kind of day we've had, our bodies are beat, but the spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells on our inside, and so he quickens our mortal body. And so even right now, we thank you for quickening for our bodies in the name of Jesus. We thank you for quickening for our bodies right now in the name of Jesus. There's a saturation of your presence in our bodies even now. Under the sound of my voice, there's a permeation of strength coming. 
for every bone, every tendon, every ligament, every cell, every organ, every stretch of the body. In the name of Jesus, from the crown of our heads, even to the sole of our feet, there's a saturation, a total rupturing of strength and grace by the might that comes from the knowledge of who we are in God through Christ. And we receive and appropriate that even now. In the name of Jesus, that nothing stands in our way of receiving that which you have in store for us tonight. No mental prejudice, no physical prejudice, no medical prejudice, no physiological prejudice, no, no psychological prejudice, nothing prejudices the receipt of your word tonight. It comes expressly, excellently, accurately, and with power. And it does exactly that which you have intended for it to do. And the gates of hell do not prevail against it. So again, Father, we thank you for being a good father. We celebrate your word. We place premium consciously on your word. We are determined to be a word-abiding people. And we are excited every time your word comes because each time your word comes, we are better for it. Each time your word comes, we are stronger for it. Each time your word comes, we are all the more mature for it. All, each time your word comes, we are more developed for it. Each time your word comes, we are more discipled and therefore more disciplined and, and, and therefore more stable for it. And so we celebrate your word. We thank you for placing us in a place of privilege to enjoy the bountiful things that your word contains. Thank you for the Christ that it forms in us daily. Thank you for how much of you it causes us to see. And how much that the amount of you we see daily transforms us into your likeness. We thank you and we celebrate the work you're doing in us. Such an amazing work as could be done only by you. And we thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so we're going to go straight in. If you have not been following us, we stumbled onto a series. Literally stumbled onto a series. The Lord just laid on our hearts to go through the entire 12th chapter of Paul's epistle to the Roman church as is relevant for all of us today. Because at the heart of the gospel is the propagation of the kingdom. At the heart of the gospel. In other words, it doesn't end at receiving the gospel. It actually begins at receiving the gospel. The gospel is not what we've said over and over. You're not saved by the gospel to be preserved by another message. You're saved by the gospel, preserved by the gospel. And one of the key elements of the gospel is the promulgation or the propagation of the kingdom. And every kingdom has its accompanying culture. So once we accept the gospel, once we believe the gospel, once we become sons of God, we are called into the living, L-I-V-I-N-G, of the culture of the kingdom. So you find that in Paul's letters, there are two key themes that are at work. He reveals Christ, or he puts Christ on display um, by virtue of presenting the gospel of grace to them. And then he also challenges them into the lifestyle that that gospel releases in them. Did you hear what I just said? Right? So he introduces the gospel to them and reintroduces the gospel to them and then reminds them of what he has reintroduced about what he has introduced. Yes? He says in, in Philippians 3 that for me to write these things to you over and over is not a burden. 
for me. It's necessary for you, right? So he's constantly highlighting or showcasing the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and consequently what that, shall I say, for lack of a better word, what that demands or what that calls us into or or more, more aptly put, what it should call out of us. Does that make sense? So the gospel comes into you, but the gospel that comes into you also draws stuff out of you. That's the inworking of the Lord and the outworking of the Lord. And so it's important to pay attention if we're going to be right students of the word of truth, right dividers of the word of truth, it's important to pay attention to not just what Paul preached as per Christ and the gospel, but what that calls us into and therefore draws out or should draw out of us. And that is summed up in two words, kingdom culture, the culture of the kingdom. So for us, kingdom culture is not just a hashtag. Every time I use the phrase in my post, kingdom culture with a D at the end, right? Yeah, and Christ on display. What I'm doing is telling my reader to hold me accountable for what I've just said. Do you understand? So you can't type nonsense and and then sign it with a hashtag, kingdom culture, because it's obviously at odds with the culture of the kingdom. Does that make sense? You can't put a photo that doesn't show any light or doesn't have an accompanying message and sign it kingdom culture or Christ on display. Uh, It's a conscious way of life. Each time you put that and you sign it that way, you're telling your, your hearer, your viewer, your reader to hold you accountable to them as people that should give God glory, as we saw last week, for your life. So it's not just the speaking of it, which is great. It's not just the confessing of it, which is great, but the manifesting of it. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said in Matthew 5 and I think 17, let your light so shine that men might see your good works. You know, let your neighbors who are not believers. Remember that? That scripture, see you. And, and glorify your Father. So as a word-abiding house who are, who, are, who are understanding the fullness of who we are as sons of God, it behoves us to give deliberate effort to the working out of God's word in our lives, to making sure that it permeates our everyday life, to making sure that it permeates our thought, to making sure that it, it, it changes our mindset, to making sure that it shapens our relationships, shapens our businesses, shapens everything about us, our hygiene, you know, our expenditures, our finances, our outlook on life. Everything is governed by the gospel. Everything is governed by the gospel. I understand that we live in an environment in the developing world where most, of, most people are actually in Christianity for survival. You know, Christianity is the opium that you turn to when the government has failed. You know, it is what gives you protection when you don't have a herbalist. You have a prophet in place of a herbalist, you're fine. You know what I'm talking about? You have a papa in place of a native doctor, you're okay. You don't have a gun, but in the spirit, you have a bazooka, you can bazooka the enemy, you're okay. But if you look at Christianity in the developing world, critically, it is a very failed answer to a social depravity in society. So for us, it's not about informing our way of life at all. We are in it because it's either we are in this thing or we die. Or we are in something else. We're not in Christianity because we believe the tenets 
of Christianity. We're not in Christianity because we, even the old, when you were in the law, you, were in, you didn't quite believe it. You still broke it. Talk to me now. You still broke it. So we're not in Christianity because even the Christianity we were practicing, we believed it enough to be good Christians. Because a good Christian, even in the era of legalism, would have one day sat down and realized that he's a bad Christian if he rightly divided the word of truth. If he was committed to living his life by the scripture, someday he's reading a portion of scripture and light comes and he realizes that his life is at odds with what he has just read. Or what he has read is at odds with what he's doing. And he will have to start reevaluating his life. Does that make sense? So, so in, in the developing world particularly, because you see, Christianity is not designed to fix your social problems. Yeah, Jesus did not die to give you electricity. Are you hearing me? Jesus did not die to give you security from armed robbers. He didn't die to make sure that they don't sort anymore in your university. He died to save you from sin. Everything else is an addendum. Now, government has its part to play, especially to the degree that sons manifest in the earth. Does that make sense? So in the absence of the manifestation of sons in the earth, you have no choice but to take what you are given. Until you get to the place where you change it, you have to take what you are given. And that's so people that have preached or advocated that the church has no part to play in politics are grossly misinformed because they don't understand the place of the church for legislating systems. And enforcing the kingdom of God. The first thing, Jesus, the first prayer point Jesus introduced to them before the cross in, in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 when they said, Master, teach us how to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, worship be thy name. First thing, thy kingdom come. You realize that? The first thing he introduces when he begins to teach them the concept of prayer was the propagation of the kingdom. So what did he come to do? He came to bring the kingdom. Are you following me? Yes, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. How is your kingdom coming? By your will being done on earth as a replica of how it is in heaven. Then we can talk about your daily bread. So he didn't come to give you daily bread. He came to bring the kingdom. That's why it says the kingdom of God is not in meat and bread, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The, the, the entire kingdom is domiciled in the Holy Spirit. And then he's domiciled in you. So you are now a carrier and a dispenser of the kingdom. Because you carry he who carries and unlocks the kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? But, but because we haven't, even in the era of believing the law, or believing what is fading away, or what is in our day now has faded away, even at that time, you're not fully convinced about it. Because if you're fully convinced about it, then you'll not wear two different fabrics. Because you are fully convinced about the law. You'll not wear two different fabrics. You'll not plant yam and plant plantain in the same farm. You have broken the law. You'll have to ring a bell every time you're on your monthly flow and tell everybody, unclean or unclean. And everything you sat on is unclean. So if you entered a cab during your monthly flow, you broke the law. Because he made the cab unclean, everybody that touched you unclean until sunset. 
Everything you sat on was unclean. Everything you lay on was unclean. You didn't gather with the saints because you were unclean. And a bunch of other laws. You shave your beard, you're in trouble. You broke the law. There were rules regulating shaving. There were. So if we were dogmatic or dogged, pragmatic about our approach to Christianity, we would have been better Christians than we have been. But we have not received it at any point in time as what was necessary for living. L-I-V-I-N-G. So it's sort of easier, in a manner of speaking, for people in the developed world that are not counting on Christianity to supply social amenities, to accept the word for what the word really is. Mm-hmm. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? That informs or disinforms your prayer. And you find that you no longer have are thinking about covering the road with the blood of Jesus. Because this road needs no blood. It needs no blood at all. At all. You just drive. And if there's traffic, you can just look in the thing, and it will tell you that there's traffic. You will route your coordinates another way, and you just go another way. Nice and easy. It needs no blood. The vehicles need no blood. If you have MOT, if you have MOT, you have MOT. It means your vehicle can move, not that you just... If the gospel is a reflection of social reality, then it's only relevant for a particular class of people and not relevant for another class of people. So the gospel cannot be what God can do for you. So it's easier for that crop of people to begin to pay attention to the actual meat of whatever you are... That's why they have time to believe nonsense. Because you are trying to practice something that is alien to where you are. So the gospel has to be, re- it has to be relevant cross-culturally. But, but we here are practicing a Christianity that has no bearing on our lives. Except that it gives us an escape route out of life's realities, life's problems. On, on the contrary, however, the gospel is meant to inform your reality. So the moment we detox your mind from what you think the gospel is meant to do for you. That's when you start to live your life on the earth. The moment you separate, as it were, social benefits from spiritual truth. Because as, the reason why you are upset when you are broke is because you are still seeing the gospel as your ticket to prosperity. The reason why you are, you are sick and then you stay away from church is because you, the reason why you come is so that you should not be sick. So how come you're coming to church and you successfully fell sick? So you leave church. Is this driving the point home for anybody? So it doesn't change the way you live. It doesn't change the way you act. It doesn't inform the way you live because it's still some abstract concept that somebody has to subscribe to one thing or the other. Unfortunately, however, of all the major religions, Christianity is the weakest. So if you were going to practice religion and you chose Christianity, you have already disadvantaged yourself. Did you hear what I just said? Of religions. Religions. Established world religions. Christianity is one of the most porous. It's one of the weakest religions. In other words, you are a, you do better, you'll be more, and you'll be a more effective Muslim. 
than a Christian. You'll be a more effective Buddhist than a Christian. You'll be a more effective Hindu than a Christian. You'll be a more effective Rastafarian. You'll do better off there than in Christianity. Christianity is a terrible religion to choose. It's confused. It is conflicted. It is divided and therefore divisive. And it has the least amount of cohesion and therefore the least amount of discipline. Are you listening to me? So you are on a dangerous path if all you have for you, going for you, is the religion of Christianity. Are you hearing me? Now, thank God for light. Can somebody say thank God for light? This light is only beneficial to the degree that you understand that it is for application. The challenge is that a lot of us are still handling the light of truth as though it were another thing that just fills the void of what was there before. Okay, the law is passed. Oh yeah, old covenant is gone. It's new covenant. But the new covenant is still not your reality. Remember when we dealt with Christ our substance? It's still not your reality. It's still not your substance. And, and, and for, for, for you to prosper in the earth and be in good health even as your soul prospers, you have to understand that what you're learning, what you're coming into the knowledge of is for application in your life. Your life must reflect what you're learning. Your life must reflect what you're learning. What you're learning won't fix the bad roads. Not, not yet. Not yet. So you must change your reality. You must alter your reality of the truth you're coming into. Are you hearing me today? Yes, Divorce your mind from certain things. One thing that the cross does and should do and will do is to change culture of people. It is a people whose culture has been changed that can effect a change. And I've said in this house over and over, any speaking engagement that I'm called to in the, in the annals of power, secular gigs or whatever, I'm, this is all I'm going to speak on. There has to be a paradigm shift in culture. Otherwise, start the entire road. Somebody will still bring out his instrument and we on the street. Because it's a culture that has to change. If you change the culture even now and people start to respect the environment, respect the health hazards involved with that, ultimately we start to better our society. So you see where we put the cart before the horse. And until sons of God understand that what we're teaching, what the Lord is opening us up to, should inform us until it changes our culture. Nothing around us will change. It will get worse. It will get worse. So we are shortchanging ourselves when we preach the culture, the, the, the gospel, and then absorb ourselves of the accompanying culture of that gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Preach Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. But by all means, emphasize what that calls the believer into. What that calls the believer into, in spite of where he is today. In spite of your condition today. In spite of the social, whatever's happening around you today. Preach, 
Preach what that calls a believer into. Because once the believer understands what he's been called into, then out of that believer then flows. Does that make sense? Rivers of living water. So every culture, every message that comes from the gospel is meant to effect a change in your mindset. Once your mindset is changed, you then start to impose that change on society. That's what the church is missing. That's what the church has abdicated its power to do. Because the church is not teaching culture, it does not have influence. It's culture that influences the people. So we can teach you all you want, mastering the seven mountains of the world. You understand? Taking mastery of the, master of the, of the marketplace. But we can teach you all of that if, you're, if you enter there with the wrong culture. You will just perpetuate it down the line. But if you raise a generation of people that understand that the word is for application enough to change, inform, influence your culture and your culture changes to match the gospel, then you can also hand that down. Paul's Preach the gospel effectively. Four generations at least of truth were secured. How do we know that he tells Timothy, the things you have learned from me? Commit them also to faithful men who in turn, Paul to, faith, to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. That's how the truth is handed down. It's the same way that error was handed down. People who started errors are dead and gone, but their concepts are still alive. So if we shift the concept and introduce the light of truth as is applicable for living, not just applicable for knowing, that's when the change begins to happen. We're still buried in knowing. And I know it's an era of knowledge. I know it's an era of illumination. But that knowledge is supposed to spur you on to being what you know. That's why some of you will still go for prosperity crusade and still go for relationship seminar. And still go for business seminars at the expense of practicing what you're coming into the knowledge of. Listen to me. There is nothing that can stand in the way of a son of God who is invested in obeying the word of truth. Nothing. Did you hear what I said? You can succeed in business without business school. I dare to say it. People out there preach, oh, you, you know, you, this is gospel, this is Christ. If you want to learn business, go to business school as though they are discharging Christ from being knowledge enough, from being wisdom enough to teach you business strategy. Do you, you, you understand what I just said? So no Christ, no Christ, no Christ. If you want to know business, go and let the world teach you business because business belongs to the world. Haven't you heard that before? I'm talking about new creation preachers, new generation preachers. Go and let the world teach you business. Really? When the earth is awaiting the manifestation of sons. When Christ became for us the wisdom of God. He didn't say the wisdom of God for Bible knowledge. Wisdom. It's by that wisdom he framed the world. Such are the things that are, are, are seen came from things that were not seen. Hebrews 11.3. That knowledge is infinite in his expression. You have an anointing from the Holy One, 1 John 2, 20. And that anointing teaches you all things. It didn't say all things spiritual. It didn't say all things Bible. So if you're a forex trader that has, that has invested time in being conscious of the leading of the Holy Spirit, he will tell you when to sell. He will tell you when to play. Otherwise, there's no point being a believer. If we have to be believer and then still borrow knowledge that we're supposed to be superior to. Why am I a son? 
I've told you over and over, the word of God does not need balance and it is balanced. The word of God needs right division. It needs to be rightly divided. It doesn't need balance. A human being cannot balance the word. How can Christ be the wisdom of God resident in me and he can't instruct me on what to do? All he did was show up to Moses and tell Moses, God was giving Moses coordinates to build the tabernacle. God, measurements. God, depths. God, colors. God, design. God, anointing Bezalel. Anointing Aholiab. Anointing them specifically for architectural design. Anointing them for structural engineering in an era that had not the Holy Ghost. An era that had not the Holy Spirit and had not grace. And God could be detailed enough to open the eyes of men who were unlearned otherwise. To want to get into professional mastery of things that would advance his kingdom. How much more now? Don't tell me that nonsense. Don't subscribe to it. You want to learn go to business? I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to business school. I'm saying that don't think that it's only by business school you can prosper. I'm saying that if you go to this school expounded by the Holy Spirit in the tablet of your heart, showing Christ. There's nothing that can stand in your way. Nothing. The problem is we are not yet at the point where we are fully persuaded enough to do. Somebody say to do. These things I write to you, most excellent Theophilus, Acts chapter 1, of all that Christ began both. Somebody say both. To do and teach. He didn't just teach. He did. He didn't just do. He taught. So we're not persuaded enough to do. That's the problem. So you will, you will hear the word of God and give yourself all the reasons why that is not for you to do. And every time you excuse yourself or recuse yourself from the word of God, you increase the amount of dark culture that prevails in the earth. I wish you would take this seriously tonight. Every time you recuse yourself, every time you, you, you don't include yourself from the people for whom the word is applicable. You are just elevating and spreading the dark culture that exists. Instead of being light in the darkness, you just gave up an opportunity to be light. Because you've said that, no, doesn't, that one doesn't concern me. I know the word of God says it, but I don't like how it sounds. A lot of us are struggling with the responsibility that obeying the word of God calls us into. A lot of us are struggling with the amount of accountability. How much you are struggling with the fact that we are supposed to actually do what we see. And that's why as much growth as has been recorded, as laudable as it is, is nothing compared to the possibility of the power and authority the church can enact in the earth. Once it comes to the point where it understands and appreciates and accepts, therefore, that what I'm learning is for me to do. That's why we still have issues. That's why we're still struggling. Because we hear God's word on how to deal with, let's use an example, how to deal with issue. Your brother has an oath against you. Go to him. That's what Jesus says. So it's as simple as, I need to talk to you, comfort. You did something, or you said something, or I heard this, and it wasn't nice. And I, I, it, it affected me, and I thought I ought to let you know. And comfort goes, excuse me, Alexander, I have no idea what to please. I don't, want, I don't have time for this nonsense. Next step, go with one or two brethren. So, comfort, you know Ophion, you know Sonia. We're all brethren. I came to you, but I tried to speak to you the other day. And you rebuffed me, and that made me feel even worse. So, in line with scripture, I've come with my two sisters, or our two brothers, to speak to you about it. She might open up, she might not, and she goes, I've told people I'm not interested in all of this nonsense. Next step, take it to the church. 
as church now, we now come together and say there's this lingering issue between Alexander and Comfort. According to the steps of scripture, this and this and this have been done. How do we deal with this? Comfort says, nobody can talk to me and tell me anything about this. Nobody can change my mind about how I feel. When you do that level, guess who's next in line for your miracle? Satan. And the church at that point is supposed to hand you over to Satan to teach you how to respect God. It's in your Bible. Isn't that so straightforward? You will now sit in your house and say, no, hmm. have you seen Comfort's face? If I now go and speak to her, she will now insult me. And me, I don't think I'm up for insulting. That's what believers do. Yes. You create excuses to discharge yourself from what the word says you should do. You haven't done it. There's nothing more fulfilling than obeying God's word. And if, if, the, if a person fails in obeying God's word, that failure in itself is success because the person failed in the place of obedience. No, let's see the way she is now. The other day I greeted her, she didn't even greet me back. I'm not going to tell her I have issues with her. No, I can handle it. Meanwhile, it's eating you up in your heart and it's coloring how you relate with comfort. Then you now go and tell Abigail. And say, so I'm just telling you, it's not like anything. Abigail too, stupidly. I'm giving examples. Abigail too, she will go, ah, it's true, the way things are. I understand what you mean. Yeah, uh, uh, just take heart. You know how it is, it is in church. You have to just, you know, handle everything with wisdom. At that point, you have cemented the gossip spirit. Because what you're supposed to do according to scripture, the moment comfort, so I go to Abigail and say, look at what comfort is doing me. Abigail is supposed to ask me straight up, have you spoken to her? If you haven't spoken to her, whatever you're doing now is gossip and I will not be part of it. Except if you have spoken to her, you, ha- you made no headway and you want me to speak on your behalf. In which case I will go to comfort and say, Alexander spoke to me about something that happened, not somebody said, I heard. That's carnality. You're now protecting the person. In church. Somebody said. No, I will tell you straight up. I hope you're coming to me because I've spoken to her first. And I'm the next line of action. Such that I can call her right now and say, Comfort. Alexander tried to speak to you. And you need to pay attention to him. You're already in violation of God's word. And then she now goes crazy at Abigail. Plus somebody else. And then it comes to me. I bring it to church. We deal with it. Otherwise, you yourself are part of the problem. Now you see why I say if you're not committed to obeying the word, you are permeating dark culture around you. Does it make sense now? You're infecting the energy around you. And you might feel like you yourself are okay, but you are like a virus. You're contaminating everything and everyone around you. And you're stifling light from shining. That's what's killing the church. So it's beyond knowing. It's about doing. Beyond learning, it's about doing. And every day our commitment ought to be that, Lord, I love you enough. I'm invested in you enough. Stephanie asked me a question yesterday. She, she said, what's the difference between, brilliant questions, what's the difference between believing and trusting? What's the difference between believing and trusting? And I said to her, of course, believing is having faith, you know, having a persuasion about something. Trust is investing in what you have believed in. Letting go yourself. When you say, I trust you. It's like when certain team building activities, if you worked in a circle organization or whatever, you know, certain things will ask you to fall backward or jump and let your colleagues catch you and it's part of team building and bonding, stuff like that. At that point, it's you trusting. 
You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in a mystery, notions deep, my soul will stand. Do you understand? That's trusting is not, not, not you believing, it's you letting go into whom you have believed. So she said, so that means you can believe and not trust. I said, absolutely. Absolutely. You can believe someone. You can believe that God loves you. You can believe that God is real. You can believe that that guy likes you and refuse to let yourself go. And so we're doing that with God. We're actually playing safe with God. We believe him, but we don't trust enough to do what he says just in case it doesn't work. Just in case it doesn't work. Just in case I, I, I go too deep. Just in case I can't regulate myself anymore. Just in case I can't control how much I'm in church or how much I give. Just in case. So you guard yourself. And in guarding yourself, you're sabotaging your ability to obey God unreservedly. And once you are in that mindset, brother and sister, it doesn't matter how much we preach this thing to you, it will not change your mind. Because you have no plans to practice it. Is anybody here tonight? You have no plans to practice it. You have no plans to, for, to allow what you are learning to change your mind. You have no plans to repent. You have no plans to improve. You have no plans to grow into the fullness of God at whatever cost. Unbelievers will say they are going to get rich or die trying. That should be the mantra of a believer. Become Christ-like or die trying. Be word-abiding or die trying. What's the point? To live is Christ, to die is gay. What does it profit a man? But because we are still steeped in this society for which religion is just an escape from reality and therefore supposed to be an alternate reality where you come to forget about your problems. We're not understanding that this word is for us to apply. It's not so difficult to, to touch a life. It's not difficult. It's not difficult to bring help. It's not difficult to make something easy for someone. I was speaking with a pastor this afternoon and I said to him, so I realized that everything in life is not about money. It's not about money. It's about being committed. Because the moment, you, he, don't forget he gives bread to the eater. You like that bit. But he gives seed. to The moment you avail yourself as sower, God is obligated to supply seed. The moment you avail yourself to be a conduit for the dispensation of grace, believe me, you will always have all sufficiency in all things. You might not have it at all the time, but when there is need that needs to pass through you, he will supply. Sometimes what he supplies is only what can meet the need and you have no change left. At that point, can you trust him enough to let go what he sent, not to you, but what he sent through you? Can you trust enough to let go what he sent through you that might not necessarily be to you at that point in time? Your account is 45 naira and the 3,000 comes and it goes straight past. You are still at 43 naira minus the 23 naira 50 kobo that the bank charged you for sending it on to the person. I've not gotten to the point where we are convinced that I need, to, I need to change, I need to let this thing I've learned change my life. I need to let this thing I've learned change my mindset. I need to allow this thing I've learned to shape in how I live. No, we're not doing it. And even the people that confront people, they confront them not because they're obeying the world, but because they have liver, they have balls. You know, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know, talk to me like that too, and get away with it. 
you don't, you don't have the last word. It's not because you're obeying scripture. This is because I didn't get mine pass. And even at the point that you did that, you acted in the flesh. Did you hear what I'm saying? Are, are, you, are you learning? You did the right thing from a wrong place. Did you hear what I said? Because you're just not afraid. Do you understand? You can chance somebody. Say, my friend, because you grew up on the streets. Do you, you understand? You, you went to a rough neighborhood. Or you are built up like Stephen. But because you walking in scriptures, you understanding this, this is how I feel. But this is what is expected of me. You hold yourself, you pull yourself together, and you do it. You pull yourself together and you love. Because that's what's expected of me. Even at that point, I really, really would like to kill you. But we are sons. That means we can't do anything we like. They're sons. We're sons of God. They went to a place to preach and the people rejected Jesus. Jesus. It was now the sons of thunder. James and John. Sons of Zebedee. That said, Master! Ah, you are letting these people reject you like this. Should we call down fire from heaven as in the days of Elijah? And they could. Or as I have said, should they? Do you understand? They could. They were not telling Jesus to call the fire. They say, we, we, like this. That's why he named them, he nicknamed them sons of thunder. They like thunder, thunder, fire, fire. He had them in his church. <laughs> two, two of them. Both two of them and their mother had issues. Their mother brought them to Jesus. You saw that Jesus has 12 equal disciples. The mother brought them to Jesus and said, Jesus, that kingdom you came to talk about, when the kingdom comes, I want James on your left and John on your right. Can you imagine? You get, only you get picking. So the whole family was a thunderous family. Their mom went to her position with Jesus. Went to lobby. And he said, let's call down fire from heaven. Burn these people like Elijah. Jesus looks at them and he says, do you not know what manner of spirit you are of? Ah, that's instructive. Do you not know what manner of spirit you're of? Are you ready for Romans 12 now? Because if, if you're not receiving it to do it, it's pointless. Romans 12 and 12. There are two key things that will come up tonight. Two key things we need to look at. One of them is vengeance. The other one is blessing. We're waiting to get here. Rejoicing in hope. That's what I left last week, right? Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Switch to the um, um, NLT. Thank you. Patient in trouble. And this has helped us a lot over the past one week. Yeah, so much, so much has gone down. So many praise reports from all over the world, literally, about the peace of God in the, midst, in, the, in the midst of the storm and not allowing troubles, disrespect, the peace of God in Christ that you have. Let's go on to 13. 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. In the light of all we have said so far tonight about how this is for doing, turn to your neighbor and tell that neighbor, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Tell the person on the other side, when God's people 
are in need. Be ready to help them. That is the disposition of that are manifesting the culture of the kingdom. We have a readiness to help when God's people, with particular emphasis on the household of faith to which you belong, are in need, be ready to help them. Let's see 2 Corinthians, just to drive that home. 2 Corinthians, you see how the Macedonian church, I wish, I wish we had access to some of those letters. I wish I had insight into the Laodicean church and, and the, 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 the Macedonian church. And, you know, some of the guys in Crete, and I wish, I wish I had access to what they had to say. And the other letters from the Corinthians. It would be nice to read the letter that they wrote to Paul. Ah, just picture it. Picture the complaint, the beef, the names that were mentioned, the issues. You are free men. You have issues. You are writing to somebody in prison. To someone in prison is who you are writing to to fix your problem. Kai Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 in the NLT. Dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, right? Through the churches in Macedonia. Verse 2. They are being tested by many troubles. Please look at this very carefully. They are being tested by how many troubles? And they are very poor. Can we all say they have been tested by many troubles? And they are very poor. And what Paul meant by that was that they were very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich general. Can you see the paradox? They have many troubles. They're very poor, but they are full of joy, and that joy informs their willingness to give. Again, the question is, are you learning this word as something that you ought to do? Or have you just started making Bible stories out of the New Testament? It's a very, very invasive question I just asked you. Very, very invasive question. Very provocative question. Have you started making Bible stories out of the New Testament? Bible stories out of the gospel? Or do you actually see it as something you ought to do? Because for me, if they did it, so will I. If they did it, so can I. I'm the New Testament church. That's why the book of Acts doesn't close. Because it's still going on. The Acts are still being written. Are we learning it to do it or just to know it as though they did it? Because here's a people that have many troubles. Here's a people that have poverty certified. Their apostle said they are poor. If Paul said they are poor, very poor. We have all reason to believe that indeed they're very poor. But they also had abundant joy which overflowed in rich 
generosity. Keep going. We'll come back to this in the message, but let's continue. Paul says, I can testify that they, the Macedonian church, gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. If they did it, so will I. Verse 4. These Macedonians begged the apostles again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift. Monetary gift, not spiritual gift. Of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. At the time Paul was writing this, there was a major famine going on in Jerusalem. Believers were dying, the crops had failed, nothing was working. And so Paul, remember when he, was, he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, when I come, I need to gather the things so that I will send, when I'm, when I'm going to Jerusalem, take it to the brethren, right? Okay. So they begged again and again. Say that matter with our brethren in Jerusalem. Please give us the privilege of partaking of it. Give us the privilege of partaking of it. Next verse. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. So they give themselves to God and they give themselves to the apostles. They give themselves to their leaders. They avail themselves for service. It takes us back in DSTP to stewardship. Listen to me. And let me just say that in passing for some of you that have major issues with service. You can never, ever, 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 ever serve God without serving a man. Write it down. You can never, ever, ever, you're deceiving yourself to think you can serve God without serving a man. That God will be contained in a man that you'll be required to serve. Do you understand what I'm saying? The measure of God at a point in time will be domiciled in a man that you'll be required to serve. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Yeah. You serve a man, you will. It's the kingdom culture way. It doesn't make you a junior priest or inferior priest. It doesn't make you, it doesn't have anything to do with your priesthood and sonship. It has everything to do with spiritual authority in the earth. As people that have rule over you, people that have charge over you, Hebrews 13, 17. As people that have apostolic oversight, pastoral oversight, presbyteros over you. No believer is a law unto themselves. No believer. No believer is a law unto themselves. In serving God, sir, you serve men. You serve a measure of God in a man that God has put in charge over you at a particular time. That was for free. They gave themselves to the Lord and to us. Is that clear for you to understand? Okay. And God's word is true. You can start debating it all you want. The word is clear. This is what it is. Just as God wanted them to do. So what did God want them to do? To give themselves to him and to give themselves to their leaders. Are you getting this? Go on. So we've urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the Corinthian church. 
Go back in verse 1 and let's see it in the message. Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Keep going. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. Hallelujah. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and saw it for myself, Paul says. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford. Verse 4. Pleading for the privilege. Somebody say pleading for the privilege. Of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. Desperately poor. Pleading for the privilege of helping poor Christians. Incredibly happy. Desperately poor. Unexpected ton of events. They give above and beyond what they are able. And keep begging and pleading for the privilege of helping others who are poor. And that is a rich church. A giving church is not a church that has. A giving church is a church that gives. That's a rich church. In spite of your lack and troubles, you give every opportunity as an excuse to give. Go back to Romans 12 and 13. Let's see it in the message. Go back to 12. Just go for, let's go from 12. Cheerfully expect and don't quit in hard times. Keep going. Pray all the harder. Into 13. Help needy Christians. Help needy Christians. James says that which of you when your brother is hungry comes to you and says, I'm hungry. And you say to him, be filled. So what, James asks them in the next line, what have you done? What have you done? Go back to the NLT. This is self-instructive. Self-explanatory. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. That tells us that anybody who looks for an excuse to not be part of a need in the body is not showing himself or herself to be part of the body. He's not willing to practice what they're learning. And personally for me, there's nothing I'm going through that is big enough to stop me from meeting a need. Nothing. Once you become desensitized to material things, once you become invested in obedience, your need takes a back seat. The moment you realize that you're not the one that will meet your need, you will never struggle with giving again. You never struggle with giving again. I have a need, yes, but there's a need. I can, I can be part of it. I'm going to be part of it. I don't need my need met to be part of it, meeting a need. No. I'm a son, and all I need to know is that that need is in the house. So it, it behoves me. It is my responsibility to respond to a need in any way I can. And then when I've responded in any way I can, go above the way that I could. What is for doing? Always, in, remember that scripture we saw in 2 Corinthians 9 during, during he swapped it. And you having all sufficiency in all things. 9-8 or 8-9? 9-8. Corinthians 9-8. It's 9-8 or 8-9. Yes, 9-8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. How does, it, how does the NLT put this? 
and God will generously provide all you need. You see that? And you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Who meets your needs? God. Not your salary, not your savings, not your hustling. Not your salary, not your savings, not your hustling. God. And like I said a few minutes earlier, if you understand that you are a conduit and you can trust him enough to pass it through you, that's when you begin to live a really prosperous life. There's nothing sweeter than knowing that the Lord used me to meet a need. Oh, you don't know how it feels. Especially when he, when he, that's what, that's what, that's what would determine your, your reward, you know, at the end of this day. You know, he comes and his reward is with him. This is what determines the, the size and the quality of your reward. This is what en- enables you, this is what bestows upon you or com- 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 confers upon you bragging rights. This is what, if you must have bragging rights, here's bragging rights. You, between you and the Father, Lord, this need came up in church, I was part of it. That need came up, I was part of it. That need came up, I was part of it. That need came up, I was part of it. Man, I'm looking forward to my reward. You can start to have an idea what your reward will look like by how you've lived your life in the earth. How you live your life in the earth is you storing up treasures for yourself in heaven where no moth or rot can touch. (laughs) Are you hearing me tonight? You know. You know. You begin to look forward to his coming. You begin to look forward to meeting him. The great white throne, right? Revelation 20. To give unto every man according to how he has worked. This is not salvation now. This is, united. This is kingdom bragging rights. Every need in my local church, I'm part of it. Why? Because I have all sufficiency in all things. Because God meets my needs. And he uses me to meet the needs of others. Not because my needs are met, but because in spite of my needs, I am a conduit of his blessing. We don't do what we do because we can. Incredibly troubled, incredibly happy, though desperately poor. Your lack ain't got nothing on your giving spirit. You know, if you have a giving spirit, you there's something to give. There's always something to give. If you have a giving spirit, always something. Yourself, your time, your resources, your money, your energy, yourself, your skill. There's always something to give. Always. Always. Always be ready. Romans 12 and 13 in the NLT. To be helped, to help those people who are in need. Amen. Always be eager to practice hospitality. So there's a warmth that accompanies being a believer. Fall over yourself to make others comfortable. That's the culture of the kingdom. Don't be a leech. The one that everybody else is looking after. You're the one that everybody else is feeding. You're the one that everybody else is trying to make comfortable. That's the thing of shame. The one that just when everybody else gives, you're the one to partake. After all, we are all family. No, you're an ectoparasite. What, what did I call you? 
just leeching from the outside, just leeching. Because if it's if, if your inside is endo, isn't it? Ecto, that's right. Just leeching, just just leeching, just leeching, just leeching. You're not you're not investing. You're not giving. You're not conscious about it. Because by the measure that every joint supplies, if you brought your two packs and this one brought a one pack and that one brought a five packs and that one brought a ten pack and this one brought a one carton, there's plenty to eat. But you can't be the one who enjoys everybody else's generosity and everybody else's hospitality and everybody else's fuss and you're not caught or found at any point giving what you are enjoying. A leech. That's not the culture of the kingdom. And here's what happens. If you're such a person, here's the bad news. The trajectory, the prognosis is that you have just shown us how you are going to grow for the rest of your life. Because you will never rise beyond your capacity to be responsible. So you don't need anybody to profess. It's just your own you know, prognosis. We look at what's happening. We just look at you. Know, this is where you're going to end up. Because sons are eager to practice hospitality. Eager is your nature to make someone comfortable. To make sure that everything is okay. To make sure the place looks nice. To make sure that your own atmosphere feels nice. That's part of hospitality. That you are conscious that the vibes you are emitting are those that make your brother comfortable. Make your sister comfortable. Enough to hang around you every time they get. Not always feel attacked and always feel put down and always feel all of that. No, but you're, you're eager to practice hospitality. Eager to make the place comfortable for people. Make the work easy. Welcome people. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Next verse. This is where I was waiting to get to. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse. New King James says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Tell your neighbor, bless and do not curse. The, the word used there for bless is the word eulogio. Or you logio from the word logos. If you have been following in this church, yes. you understand what logos means to speak, yeah, or the thoughts, the essence, the culmination of something, and to give it out that intention. So you logio in the in the uh, Greek spelled E U and then L O G double O. If you have a good lexicon, you can check it there. Just type Romans twelve fourteen lexicon. You see it there you logio. In the Greek. And it means two things. That's why I want to point this out. Because you know, we always have that issue of can a man bless? You know? And, and even in worship as well. You know, to bless God. You know, if you're saying that we can't bless and men can't bless men. You know? And then how, how do we bless God? Yeah? And how will this scripture say we should bless others and not curse them? And, and then you now run that parallel with God as well having already blessed you. Now, the word blessing, the word eulogio in the Greek, means two things. One, it means to speak well of. Did you hear that? 
Eulogio means to do what? To speak well of. It's the, also the root word from which you get the English word eulogize, eulogy. To speak well of something, to summate the attributes of a person. You know, when, especially, unfortunately, when the person is dead. But eulogies are not necessarily restricted to when someone dies. Yeah, just that most times the only good thing you remember about the person is when the person dies. Unfortunately. Yeah, but it's also the same root word from which you get the English word eulogy or to eulogize someone. To eulogize someone means to speak well of them. Do you understand that now? That's eulogio in the, in the Greek. So when it's referring to this, con- in this context, it's referring to speak well of. The other flip side meaning of the word eulogio in the Greek means, and this is important, please look up, it means to confer benefit on. To confer benefit on a person. That's what the writer of Hebrews explains when he, when he says that of necessity, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Not that the lesser is spoken of nicely by the greater. But that the lesser is in the position to receive the benefit that can be only conferred by the greater. Does that make sense? So if you now run that parallel with Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has conferred us with every benefit of Christ in heavenly places. Does that make sense? Not, not God who has spoken nicely about us in the spiritual places. Does that make sense? He has conferred upon us every benefit in heavenly places in Christ. So Christ is the blessing because Christ is what changes the game for the believer. So Christ is the benefit of God, the logos of God imparted unto the believer. So when God blesses you, God confers upon you benefit. Do you understand that? Benefit. God confers upon you benefit. He dresses you up. Benefit. That's not what is referred to in the context of Romans 12, 14. You get it? So it's not saying confer benefit upon your believer as though you have the power to bless. But it says to speak well eulogize those who persecute you. Do you understand that now? Speak well of them. So the fact that somebody has brought you a lot of harm and pain doesn't mean you should speak ill of them. Sons of God never speak bad of other sons. And I had to learn that the hard way. Because I've been in positions in my life where my God, it's not like we don't know what to say. It's not like we also don't know what to use against you. You also take your time and gather it just to convince yourself you have it. Weapons are not difficult to fashion. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes. Ah, is it 8.11? 8.11. Check it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So somebody did something wrong today. You didn't catch him. Please, am I in word and life? Yes. Am I doing okay? Yes. Somebody did wrong. They made away with it. They become emboldened because they were not caught. Yes. 
how does the NLC put this? When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. Message. Because the sentence against evil deeds is so long in coming, people in general think they can get by with murder. In psychology, one of the basic things they teach you in psychology 101 in understanding covert part, behavioral patterns in people when it comes to criminology is that most times a criminal will open a trail by a reoccurrence of his crime. So if you cannot catch it, there's not enough evidence to catch or, or create a trail by which you can find the culprit. All you need to do is keep a tab on your suspect and sooner rather than later, at the point that the person begins to feel that he or she has gotten away with that first one, they will try another one. Try another one. So a murderer will almost likely, in trying to cover his tracks, murder again. That's how it is. So because the punishment for a crime is not executed speedily, the sons of men devise more ways to do evil. So people can go ahead. You said something once, nobody punished you. You say some more. And some more. And, and sometimes you want to feel like, you know what, I should teach this person justice. Talk to me, somebody. I should say something back and shut this person off. Especially when you feel like your image has been tarnished. You feel like you have been maligned. You feel like your character has been defamed or assassinated. You feel like there's this urge to fight back. To speak evil of. And then you remember the word says, don't speak evil of them. Eulogize them. Ouch. Eulogize them. Speak well of them. Don't sell them out. At that point, where they deserve to be thrown under the bus. They deserve to be thrown under the bus. But then, ah, ah, speak well of them. Speak nice of them. Oh, see that lady? I love her. She's amazing. See that guy? Great dude. Served me well. You can't curse. You can't speak ill of them. Is anybody going to join me to start practicing that tonight? Just start in this house. Speak well of them. Speak. Don't be caught speaking evil of a brother. Don't be caught dead speaking evil of a sister. The scripture teaches us to speak well of them. Eulogize them. Eulogize them. Celebrate them. Tell them how much you love them. Tell them how much they mean to you. Love on them. In spite of whatever they've done to you, there's something about them that tickled your fancy. Magnify that. Do you understand? You love the way she smiles. You love the way that you spoke. You love the way that you hung with him. You love the way that he preached. You love the, Magnify what, what it was in their life that was a benefit to you. That's eulogy. When somebody dies, you say, oh, you know, this person was really nice. You know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. He sang well. You know, he gave well. You know, or somebody's birthday. You say, oh, she's very nice. You had things on your birthday. You never hear the other 200, 364 days of the year. Eulogize them. Magnify their selling points. When you want to run them down because you know that you can. That's when you're a son of God in manifestation. Not in, not in just persuasion, but in doing. Is that clear? Do you understand that? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those that weep. I will spend two minutes on this. It's very simple. Rejoice with those that rejoice. If you see something good going on for your brother or sister, and all it does is to awaken in you why you don't have that thing, you are in the flesh. If you cannot celebrate it because it's not you, it's happening to. 
you are averse to the culture of the kingdom. Oh, celebrate what is going well for your brother. Celebrate what is going well for your sister. Everybody has a different script. And only the script writer knows its finality. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Something's going well for somebody. Rejoice with them. Be glad for them. Somebody got admission. And you start to act funny. Because he just reminded you how you have written jam nine times. And you have not gotten. And look at you, 29. If jam should give anybody at this crucial time admission, should it be the person who is 19 or the person who is 29? Jam self should think it. After all the customer have been to jam. This is one point. One point. By now they should just give me bonus for patronizing them so much. And I can't give somebody 19 years old, road jam, twi- just twice. Or once. And the person just got in. And you start to feel bad. And you build an altar around your hurt. Using that person's good fortune as a trigger. Celebrate with those that are celebrating. Somebody's wedding. Enjoy the wedding. Enjoy the marriage. If somebody's birthday fell on a Tuesday, yours, we can't find the day of the week yet. Enjoy the day of that person. Enjoy it. So you might not have it going for you at that point in time. That doesn't mean you shouldn't celebrate that it's going well for someone else. Rejoice with those that rejoice. It would be interesting to see if the message puts this in any different way. What does it say? Laugh with your happy friends when they are happy. That's pretty basic, isn't it? And it says, share tears when they are down. I've said it over and over. Remember when we dealt with who said forgiveness was unconditional? The fact that somebody hurt you, broke your heart, left you, doesn't mean that life will be difficult with them. Just get used to it. Deal with it. God will not kill them because you want them dead. If you kill them because you want them dead, you should be dead because somebody else wants you dead. And thank God he's not God of the dead. We'll leave him. In the context of praising him, of course. Celebrate with, it's not, it doesn't cost anything to love on that which is happening to another. Somebody gets a house, rejoice with them. And by rejoicing with them, I've taught you as part of the kingdom culture, don't expect them to feed you for rejoicing with them. You feed them. Someone's birthday, don't expect the person to give you cake or the person to give you drink or cook you rice. You cook the rice and go to the person. I came to celebrate with you. That's the culture of the kingdom. Not that poverty mentality that prevails in Africa. It's poverty. So you look for every Owambe as the excuse to eat what you will not buy or what you will not cook. Do you hear what I said? That's, that's, that's what it is. It's not, it's not deeper than that. The more weddings you have, and then you can grab some food. Have you seen women who are shifting coke and, and rice into their bag in reception? And encouraging their children to do the same? For th- that weekend till Monday or Tuesday, we are sorted. And the next week, let's find another one. And the next week, let's find another one. And no one is ever thinking, if somebody's getting wedded. You don't go for the solemnization. You just already sit down in the reception and be waiting. Last, last, they will arrive here married. By the time they arrive here to meet me here, they are married. 
Trunk assignment. Now, some of you might not like this, but that's not the culture of the kingdom. It is not the culture of the kingdom. The kingdom culture is not a taking culture. It's a giving culture. It's a depraved culture that is a taking culture. Now, so if you're a son of God and you are still acting according to the culture of the world, then you are sabotaging your sonship. You're living beneath your sonship. Do you understand? At the point you accept the gospel, you cease to be an African. At the point you accept the gospel, you cease to be a third world country citizen. Your citizenship is in heaven. So you start to act and operate by the agenda and the economy of heaven. That's how we are heaven touching earth. This is helping anybody. You cease to be, that culture has to die. And if nobody will say it, I will. Nobody will champion it, I will. It's not of God. That taking lychee is not of God. It's poverty, poverty of the mind. Depravity of the mind. Celebrate, carry something, no matter how, take a hundred naira recharge card. Show that I'm celebrating with you. Show it. Somebody buys a phone and you want them to wash the phone. The kingdom culture is such that you should be like, hey, I should partake of being the first one to recharge this phone. I should, be, I should partake of being the first one to put petrol in this tank. Your first handout of your admission is on me. The first course you're registering for is on me. That's what will you do for us? Is it helping anybody tonight? That's not the culture of the kingdom. And I'm not teaching kingdom culture yet. I'm not teaching kingdom culture yet. I'm just... Just going through Romans 12. Because kingdom culture is what changes the entire outlook of the earth. What we're looking for in politics is only found in the culture of the kingdom. What we're looking for with the, with the armed forces is only found in the culture of the kingdom. What we're looking for in the economic system is only found in the culture of the kingdom. We'll teach it someday. Until the culture changes and heaven's basilia comes to play in the earth, nothing will change. Mark my words. Until a crop of people arises that has changed its culture in favor of the culture of the kingdom, nothing will change. So you can't just get up and prophesy stupidly. You look at what's on ground. It's the culture of the kingdom. And that culture has to, you have to stop thinking like poor people. To stop acting like poor people. Do you understand what I'm saying? To stop acting like poor people, you have to stop thinking like poor people. It's poor people that just want to take. No matter how much you have. I've cooked food for three days, but if I collect this one now from this Owambe, the one I cook for three days, I will keep it. It will not last for the three days after the three days that this one will last for. That's poverty. Look at the birds of the air. Matthew 6, they neither toil nor reap. Your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than this? Look at the lilies of the field. I say to you most assuredly, verily, very, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was more arrayed than these lilies of the field. Do you understand what Jesus said? Do you believe what Jesus said? Yes. And we keep, keep money. This one is for food tomorrow. Shame on you. Shame on you. This one is for when I'm going out on Saturday. Today is Tuesday. So you can't help. You're not disposed to sharing. Saving. This 1,000. Meet another 500. You know, they are now cook for Sunday afternoon. You don't know how we like. Uh, I'm not telling you what we're not practicing. No. The monies we needed for today. It was today it came. Who let us be put to shame? And we we'll juggle it and juggle it and juggle it and trust him. 
because we know he, we have judged him faithful. And he's not faithful just because he came through for you. He's faithful when he uses you to come through for somebody else. Don't be so selfish. The faithfulness of God doesn't stop with him meeting your need. It extends in him using you to meet another person's need. That's him being faithful. Don't limit the faithfulness of God. He can meet you as using people. He can use you as people to meet other people's needs. That's him being faithful. Then you become the color of the faithfulness of God in the life of the person whom he used you to meet their need. Does that make sense? You become what God's faithfulness looks like. Ah. Do you understand? You become what God's faithfulness sounds like, talks like, walks like, operates like. Determined today to be the picture of God's faithfulness in the life of your brother, in the life of your sister, in the life of your pastor, in the life of your leaders. Determined to be what faithfulness of God looks like, what the consistency of God looks like, what the loving kindness of God looks like. Celebrate when people are celebrating. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost anything. And you feel like, yeah, I deserve it. Yes, I know. But it's a script we are following. It's not survival of the fittest or fastest. The race is not to the swift. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory is the Lord's. It's not of him that willeth or run. It's of God that shows mercy. It's not your thing. You're just an actor in the script. So when it comes up for somebody and they are celebrating, celebrate with them. You see Victoria and, and, and William in the movies, in the gym, in the... Uh, look at this one. Uh, only them get love. Now only them do... Yes! At this point in time, I then get them. They are getting it should not highlight your lack of it. Otherwise, you are very insecure. Very insecure. Your entire mood changes. You will start to discuss it with people. Can you see them? See? So because they're in love, they must put it on WhatsApp. Where should they put it? They must rub it on our faces. Because they are are together. It's only then that have love. That's how Nigerians think. They're so myopic-sided. Listen to me, what abiding house, and those of you watching all over the world, until our culture changes, our gospel is inefficient. Until our culture changes, whatever we're preaching holds no water. We cannot legislate God's kingdom in the earth until we change to be consistent with what we believe. It's not of God. It's not of God. Celebrate with them. Somebody bought new shoes. You know, remind you how you didn't have. Because even if they did not have theirs, they are not having theirs. It's not what would have brought you yours. God did not take what should have come to you and gave the other person. That's a witchcraft way of thinking. God did not. So they're not the fact that they have it is not the reason why you don't have it. Do you understand? The fact that somebody had the job. It's not your job they took, or your husband, or your or your wife. Or your admission or your house. And so we turn the other person to, to the trigger for our unhappiness. Celebrate with them that are celebrating. Tell anybody I rejoice with you today. Tell the other one I rejoice with you today. And always. I determine to rejoice with you always. If anything is going well for you, can count on me to celebrate with you. Always. That's the culture of the kingdom. That's the culture of the kingdom. 
celebrate fervently with those that have stuff going for them. You should not highlight your own inadequacies. And if you do that, you also jeopardize your capacity to receive what you're trusting for. Because you don't receive it by covetousness in that regard. You don't receive it by letting it highlight what you don't have. Be thankful for your brother. Be thankful for your sister. Celebrate them. Jump into what is working for them. Jump into it. Put your money in it. Be invested in it. Put your time in it. Put your resources in it. Do it. You see them have a new phone. Buy the pouch. Buy the screen guard. Buy the airtime. Celebrate with them. Celebrate with them. And of course, when they're going through a tough time, empathize with them. Don't gloat at their pain. Celebrate with them. And then empathize with them. Let their pain be your pain because it is your pain. It's your pain. It's your pain. Feel with them. You hear that somebody lost a loved one, let your heart go out to them. It doesn't have to be until it's your turn. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be. Take, Take time out and connect with them. You might not know who they lost, but spend time and just connect with the person that it, it involves, the person that it touches. Connect with them. Is that good? Let's finish this. 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. We've talked about this a lot in this house. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Switch to NLT, please. Let's stay here. Live in harmony with each other. Look at this. Don't be too proud to us. Enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I said last week that if you are the top, the alpha male in the park of where you are gathered, you are very low. Remember I said that? You, you know, you're the queen bee everywhere you go. You're the alpha male. You're the one everybody looks up to, everybody has to hear you talk. Everybody has to reckon with you. You're very low. Because we are ordinary people. We're just ordinary people. And we enjoy each other's company. Because we're just regular folks that Jesus saved. All of us. Not one person elevated above the other. Enjoy each other's company. I don't know about you, but me, I'm an incurable family man. I love hanging with my folks. I, there's no sh- any shepherd that does not smell like a sheep is a fraud. Any shepherd that does not smell like the sheep is a fraud. You can't be a shepherd and you don't smell like the sheep you are, you are shepherding. What are you shepherding? We enjoy each other's company. We're family like that. We love on each other. We compliment each other. We're free with each other. We don't disrespect each other. We don't have to form personas so that you will not disrespect us. Because all that does does is that you would not disrespect me physically, but in your heart you do worse. And while you're away, you will do much worse. So I'm better off being myself. And you do with it what you will. And don't think. Tell anybody, don't think you know it all. Don't be intimidated by their face. I'm standing here. Tell them, don't think you know it all. Don't think you know it all. Because yeah, you know nobody, nobody has a monopoly of revelation. Nobody has a monopoly of knowledge. Nobody. First Corinthians 8 and 2, right? If anyone thinks he knows. 
He doesn't know as much as he ought to. Don't think you know at all. Go on, 17, I'm almost done. Never pay back evil with more evil. I was waiting to get here. Do things in such a way that everyone can see your honorable. And this is Paul telling the church. Do things in such a way that people can see you are honorable. Next verse. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. All that you can. All that you can. 19. Oh. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. That is quoting Deuteronomy. And this scripture is a problem in the New Testament. The problem even gets more compounded in the next verse. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Repeat verse 20 from the top. Let me make my point. Instead, somebody say instead. Instead. They're hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. But me, I will punish them. You, human being, you, son of God, you in the image of Christ, don't repay evil with evil. Love them. Feed them. Give them something to drink. But the vengeance, me, I will kill them for you. It is a problem if that's what God is saying. Because if that's what God is saying, then he has no moral standing to ask you to not respond in the way he intends to respond. I love God's word, man. I love things like this. Because if he's saying, leave it to my wrath, I will pay. I will pay them. You, don't worry, yeah? You, don't stress yourself. Just love them until I pay them. Feed them until I pay them. Treat them nicely until I come and overrun them. What's the point of being nice to them? If he's going to kill them anyway. Go to New King James. 19, New King James. You know what I tell you? There's so much to teach. I can't even teach it now. I'm just spooking you. Is he doing you? Yeah? I'm just winding you up. But see, verse 19, let me give you a clue. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, which is what shows up in the original language. It does not ever say there, give place to the wrath of God. For it is written, he references Deuteronomy, 
Vengeance, and the word vengeance there, let me make it worse for you. Vengeance means both a repayment and vindication. The same word in the Greek. Same word. So I'm not even, I'm not even going to go into it tonight in which context was being used. Nah. I want to wake it up in you. Can, can I, am I doing that already? Check your lexicon. Read it. Romans 12, 19. Check lexicon. Check the original language. You see where? Give place to wrath. And the wrath there is the word translated. The natural happenstances for evil doing. Like we saw earlier in Ecclesiastes 8, 11, That because the punishment for a sin delays. Or is not executed speedily. People devise more ways to do stuff. I've also taught you about the consequence for sin as opposed to the judgment for sin. And the word wrath there is, is more suggestive of allowing what to happen to you to happen to you because of what you are doing. It doesn't attribute it to God. Because the wrath has been drunk. Which one was left? Am I teaching good? Am I teaching good? Which, which wrath is left now? To be used on your enemies. That you, God is about to rot them up. But you love them up. Think about it. Feed them up, you know. Drink them up. Fat, basically, fatten them for God to, to destroy them. Could that be what he's saying? And, and then when you look at the fact that vengeance means both recompense as well as vindication. Check it. You start to now scratch your head. Like, okay, what is Paul really saying? Because he has to be consistent with everything else he's saying. Yeah. Cannot be different. That's a clue. That's another clue. Oh, I love God's word. You can't, you can't be bored about it. I know you want to close, but can you just rejoice with me? I'm rejoicing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah rejoice with me now. Is that all you can do? Celebrate with me. I'm celebrating. Celebrating. I'm celebrating. You are obligated to celebrate my celebration. Yes. Obligated to celebrate my celebration. Amen? Amen. It has to be consistent with everything else that Paul has been saying. Can't be different. That's the first clue. And then original language is another clue. What Christ has done is another clue. So when he's saying he will repay, is he saying I will keep them for you? Or is he saying I will vindicate you? Or even deeper, I will vindicate them. So look after them because I'm going to reach out to them eventually. Oops. Clothe them. Let them bring them to repentance. Let them feel shame. Godly sorrow. The moment you come to an understanding of this, you realize that no son of God can successfully have enemies. No son of God can have enemies. That you're expecting God to punish for you. Because the cross that saved you didn't reach enough to save them. I hope with these few words of mine, I've been able to challenge you into a deeper walk of kingdom culture. And one that you can actually practice. It's when it gets practical that it carries weight. Do I have any doers in the room tonight? By choice, by decision. To do it. Do it. Employ everything in you to do it, to give, to celebrate, to empathize, to honor, 
to practice hospitality, to give yourself to prayer, to give your bodies as a sacrifice, yourself in giving, to give yourself to the Lord, give yourself to your leaders. Create an atmosphere of love and joy and celebration for those that are around you. Feel their pain. Connect with them. Change your celebration style to that of you giving into what God is doing, not wanting to take from it. And once you get this culture, the environment, the society cannot but change. That's the start from the church. Cannot but change. Only the church can bring it to pass in our day. When we start to change our culture. The day when you enter a hospital and every nurse is moved by empathy. Every doctor is moved by humanity. Every lecturer is moved by the desire to ensure that his people that he raises end up better than him and have it easier than he did and have access to resources that he didn't have. And when a one-to-one is not a time for a sex predator to take advantage of a student. That day is possible. It's possible. And it lies squarely in the remit of the authority and power of the church as it pertains to changing culture. And this is how it starts. Nothing else will change it. Nobody, nobody, nobody can do it. Nobody has the authority and the honor to do it. It's reserved for the church. The moment we start to unveil ourselves and change and change how we deal with people, return honor to transactions, return honor to to debts and and, and transactions and and, and return honor and love and celebration and selflessness in our nature. And we start to change the culture, one after the other. Just take somebody with the culture to get in. And once you get in and you have the culture, then you have the authority in the earth, exousia, to permeate your system with the culture of the kingdom. You don't have to tell people that what I'm teaching you is Bible. Just introduce it as a system of life. Because that's what it is, a system of life. You don't have to put the brand on your head, Jesus Christ. You don't have to. Just introduce it as a system, a sublime system that takes over from within. And Before they know what's happening, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord has covered the earth as the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. Are you glad about that tonight? Yes. That's the tip of the iceberg of the culture of the kingdom. Let's start to practice it. It's more than enough for us to put to practice. More than enough. Enough of the talk. Let's, let's do some doing. Yes? Let's do some doing. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.